Well, good morning. My name is Terry Meyer. I'm the Director of Family Life Ministries here at GCF. And uh, just a reminder that in a couple of weeks, we're going to begin a new series from the uh, book of Exodus. Now, the the sections in the book of Exodus are quite long. We're not going to go verse by verse. So there is a um, list of the uh, chapters that we're going through each week, starting in two weeks. And I would encourage you, on your own, read through those sections, or as a family, read through those sections, uh, before church on Sunday. And that will bless you greatly. And also, we have purchased... Um, journals from the book of Exodus. And these are for sale back in the bookstore. And they're great. They have a little, uh, on one side they have the verses themselves, on the other side a place to write as we go through uh, Exodus. So please check one of those out. Go grab it. Well, don't check it out. They're for sale. But uh, grab it and pay for it uh, back in the uh, bookstore. All right, let's pray before we get into these final uh, section of uh, John. Father, this morning as we conclude the uh, book of John, thank you for John. Lord, thank you for uh, your gospel, your good news. Father, I pray this morning that as we go through this section of Scripture, that you would fill us with your Spirit, Lord. Help us to hear you. Help us to understand your Word. And most importantly, Lord, help us to apply it. I pray that we would be different people as a result of leaving this morning in interacting with your word. So give us strength this morning, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it is a beautiful thing when broken relationships are stored. And and nothing in American history is as interesting as the restored relationship between John Adams and Thomas Jefferson. Now, at first they were quite close. They both were delegates to the Continental Congress in 1775. John Adams personally invited Thomas Jefferson to draft the Declaration of Independence. Uh, Both of them served as diplomats in Europe in the 1780s. And upon the death of Jefferson's wife, John Adams and his wife Abigail comforted him during that time. And, And Jefferson actually became really a member of the family. You know, that all changed when they returned to the United States. Jefferson was concerned about a strong central government. He didn't want that. And he moved toward what would ultimately become the Republican Party. Adams, on the other hand, wanted a strong central government and aligned himself with the Federalist Party. It sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? And the relationship between the two degraded to the point when the 1800 presidential election um, Both of them ran against one another, and Jefferson supporters accused Adams in the press as having a hideous, hermaphroditical character. Adams, on the other hand, um, uh, accused in the press uh, John Adams as being, or uh, Thomas Jefferson as being a mean-spirited, low-lived fellow. Ooh, brutal. And both smeared one another in the press and didn't talk for the next 12 years. And in 1800, when Jefferson was ultimately elected as president, uh, John Adams didn't even go to the inauguration. Now, that changed in 1812, uh, when Adams sent a short letter to Jefferson in Monticello. Jefferson replied with a friendly letter himself, 
And after that, the two became corresponding. They penned 158 letters between the two that you can read today over the next 14 years. And, and their relationship was restored. And it's a beautiful thing. Now, you and I were born not with this, a strained relationship with God, but a relationship that is completely broken. You know, and if we are to have eternal life, if we are to have a hope for heaven, we have to be restored to God. Um, Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. And on this earth, if we want an abundant life, God created us for a purpose. And if we want to enjoy that purpose in a relationship with him, we have got to be restored to God through Jesus Christ. So this morning, we're going to explore the complete restoration of Peter. And, uh, and hopefully to better understand like, how we can be restored to him as well. And I think there's some principles here that we can use to, re, to what does it mean to be restored to God. And so hopefully that occurs this morning. And we need to set the scene a little bit before uh, we take a look in this interaction between Jesus and Peter. Now, Jesus and seven disciples were having a meal together next to the Sea of Galilee. And I imagine what Peter was feeling and thinking during that uh, meal. I'm, I'm sure Peter's mind uh, was thinking about a couple of weeks earlier when he had betrayed Jesus, uh, saying that he didn't even know Jesus during that great, his greatest time of need. You know, Peter knew that he had blown it, and I'm sure what was running through his mind is, is what does Jesus think about me now? You know, Peter seemed to have a, a favored position among the disciples. You know, it was Peter, James, and John that Jesus took up onto the mountain, and they got to experience Jesus being transfigured. Peter was one of the three that was taken in and was able to see a young girl be risen from the dead. You know, it was Peter, James, and John again that Jesus took with him into the Garden of Gethsemane uh, to keep watch with Jesus as he was struggling with what would happen to him in the coming hours. And, and I'm sure Peter's mind was like, have I ruined this relationship? And is he going to accept me? I, and I'm sure that was on Peter's mind. Now, uh, after the meal, from verse 20, we know that Jesus pulls Peter aside and talks with him in, in all likelihood uh, privately. Or perhaps... The, the other disciples were, were nearby. We don't exactly know. You know, for Peter, this was the most important conversation probably of his life. Really, his whole future depended on this interaction with Jesus. So this is an, an, an important, high-stakes conversation between Peter and Jesus. So we're going to explore the complete restoration of Peter in three parts this morning. Peter is restored to Jesus Peter is restored to shepherd, and Peter is restored to the end. So let's begin by exploring Jesus, or Peter is restored to Jesus. And, and what led to Peter being restored? Well, Peter was restored partly because he was a greatly humbled man. In this interaction with Jesus, Jesus is talking to a man who has been humbled. And there's hints of that humility in uh, all the way from verse uh, 15. Uh, read with me uh, verse 15. And when they had finished breakfast, 
Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Now, there's a clues just from this verse itself that Jesus was talking to a humbled Peter. It's interesting that Jesus goes back to Peter's original name, the one that he had before Jesus changed it to Peter. He says, Simon, son of John. And Peter's reaction is he didn't balk at this. He received it. Now, Peter demonstrates he's been humbled in another way from this one verse. Jesus uh, then asked Simon whether he loved him more than these. Now, what are the more than these that he's talking about? Uh, Most commentators agree from the context that the more than these are the other disciples. Um, which are nearby him at this point. Do you love me more than these other disciples? Now, why do commentators believe that? Um, Well, roughly two weeks earlier, we don't know exactly how much earlier, just after Jesus and his disciples had a meal, um, he was walking with his disciples to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus tells his disciples that they would all fall away from him that night. And Peter, in front of them all, says this, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. That's that's sort of a proud statement when you think. Uh, Truly I tell you this very, uh, and then Jesus said to him, truly I tell you this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. At which point you would think Peter would go, oh, okay. But no, Peter doubles down. Uh, Then Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And we know the other disciples were nearby in earshot because it says, then all the other disciples said the same. Now, back to the conversation between Peter and Jesus. Uh, As Jesus considers Jesus' question, do you love me more than these? I'm sure Peter's mind goes back to that evening and realizes that he was really no better than any of the other disciples. Not only did Peter deny, uh, uh, fall away, but he actively denied that he even knew Jesus. And, And again, Peter's response shows that he is a humbled man. He didn't justify himself. He didn't argue his case before Jesus. You know, really, what more could Peter say to Jesus to, to prove his own love for him? And the thing is, he didn't even try. He's a humble man. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And and the interesting thing is, is Peter doesn't even rely on his own assessment of his love for Jesus. He throws it right back to Jesus, says, you know, Lord. He's trusting in Christ. He, He is a humbled man. How important it is, brothers and sisters, for humility in being restored to Christ. You know, if you're a coach, you understand this. If you have humble athletes, they're they're coachable. They're teachable. They don't know it all. Uh, They don't rely on themselves but on others. Humble athletes are better teammates. Uh, They're eager to submit to leadership. And this is exactly where the last few weeks before this interaction brought Peter. Uh, All of the grandiose ideas that Peter had that I'm going to die for you, Lord, were really based out of his own strength. Um, And he ultimately knew that Jesus is the only one who could restore him. 
And he's looking to Jesus for that restoration. Now, let me ask you, what is your disposition as you approach God? You know, do you think that there's anything about yourself that makes you acceptable to him? Do you think there's anything in your own strength that can build his kingdom? If there was anything about yourself that could restore you to him, then there would, would be no need for Christ to suffer on the cross. If there was anything in your own strength that you could do to build his kingdom, then there would be no need for a relationship with Christ. You, you wouldn't need that if you had it within your own storehouse of truth. In, in truth, there's nothing acceptable about you or me that would earn our being restored to God. And our own storehouses of truth or, or strength can do nothing to build his kingdom. And I'm, I'm confident that this is why so often God puts us through difficult times. Difficult times have a wonderful effect of helping us not to rely on ourselves, but to rely on Christ. Help us to realize what is really true that he is the ultimate source of strength, of power, of joy, instead of ourselves. Because here's the truth. Everything about what Jesus did, from his perfect life, from his death for you and I, to the resurrection, makes him the only one who can restore a broken relationship between he and us. Now, how do we know that Peter is restored? And from these verses, it's evident that Peter had a genuine love for Jesus. So let's pick up the conversation in verse 16. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. And he said a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, the word for love that Peter uses here is the Greek word phileo. And it means that he loved Jesus. Jesus was dear to him. Uh, Jesus was his friend. That There's a great affection that Peter had toward Jesus, that, uh, a fondness. Uh, for a person. In fact, phileo is the, used, uh, the word used in the New Testament whenever describing the disciples' love for Jesus. And, and this was Peter's love towards Jesus. He loved him. Jesus was his friend. He had great affection for Christ. Uh, though Peter failed him in his greatest uh, time of need, this didn't characterize Peter's overall love for Jesus. Now, my temptation here is to tell you that you will be restored to God if you love him. And there is some truth there. But uh, that relies primarily on our ability to love God. And I don't want to base my own salvation on the level of my love towards him. Because I know myself, um, there are days that my love for him waxes and wanes. There are days that I have great affection for Christ. And, and honestly, there are days, I wouldn't say days, but there are times where I don't think of him. 
And so if we're going to live, uh, have a relationship with God, it, it needs to be based on something more solid if we want to have joy in the Christian life. And here's the thing, is our salvation is not based on our ability to love God, but trusting in his love for us. You know, John 14, 9 says, we love because he first loved us. Any love that we have for him comes after his act of love towards us, which is sending his own son to live a perfect life and take the penalty for sin that we deserve. You know, in fact, uh, Romans 5, 8 says, for God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loved us first, way before we had any affection for him. Uh, our love for God is a result of our trusting in God, our uh, desire to know him. He's the one who acted first. Our love is just a response to that. Now, how do we apply this to be reconciled to God? Now, my, my encouragement to you is don't root your salvation on your ability to love God and that changes because we are people. Um, but root your salvation on God's love for you as demonstrated by God sending his son as a sacrifice for you. The, the cross is God's ultimate act of love. And put your faith and trust in Jesus and the cross. You know, and as you do, the truth is your affection for him will grow. Your love for him will grow as you consider what he had, has done for you. Now, practically how you do this. Um, Jerry Bridges, author, talks about preaching the gospel to yourself daily. Recount daily God's love for you as displayed in the cross. Uh, Paul, that's why Paul said to the Corinthians, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Study the cross, meditate it, make it the center of your thinking. When you feel that God is distant from you, recount, if you would send your own son to die for me, then, then you're not distant. You want to have a relationship. You've made every, um, uh, you've accounted for my own sin. And so you're present, you're near, even though I don't feel like it. Now, this leads us to our second restoration. Besides being restored to Jesus, uh, Peter is restored to shepherd. So who is Peter restored to shepherd? Well, it was Jesus' most prized possession, his sheep. Now, I love old cars. I have a, a 1965 Ford F100 uh, in our uh, parking lot. Um, my wife, on the other hand, does not like that truck. She, she actually hates that truck. You know, it's loud, it's bumpy. It, it sort of has a muffler. Um, we'll just say that you know if I'm driving it to church. Um, but the reason I love driving it is when I'm driving around and other people who love old trucks, they always give me the thumbs up. And I'm like, yes. My wife, if she's in with me, she hates it when that happens. So sometimes, every once in a while, I'll get a, a, a salute. And I don't know what to do. I'm not in the middle of like, something. I, I don't know. But um, 
I love my truck. Now, my, again, my wife does not love the truck. Now, I love my wife. I do love my wife, even though she doesn't love my truck. Uh, but if I were gonna, if I had to give my truck to somebody, I probably wouldn't give it to my wife. I, I'll get her something else that's very nice, but, but not my truck. You know, she'd probably immediately sell it uh, just to get it off of our property. So when it comes to our most precious possessions, you know, we want to give them, to, to hand them over to somebody who is going to love them as much as we do. So when Peter, Jesus says to Peter, feed my lambs and tend to my sheep, and feed my sheep, he's giving charge to Peter to care for his most valuable possession, which are his sheep. And remember, Jesus had just given his life for his sheep. In John 10, Jesus describes himself, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Now, how is Peter to care for Jesus' most prized possessions? And Peter was restored to feed and tend the sheep. Now, Peter was not called to a high office. He was not called to a position. He, he was not called to be the first pope. Uh, he, was called, um, he was called to the very inglorious job of taking care of sheep. He was to be a shepherd. Now, I don't have sheep, but I have two goats that I bought from the Spoolers uh, many, many years ago. Now, when I first saw them, they were like the cute little goats. And they were bouncing around. You've seen the videos, you know, jumping off things and, you know, kicking their feet in the air. And I thought, oh, that's going to be wonderful. I'm going to uh, take him and the grandkids are going to play with the goats. And, but, you know, little goats turn into big goats. And these goats, they grew up. And it is, it is somewhat a, uh, it kind of turned into big. They're not nasty goats, but, you know, they're goats. Um, they bite one another. They, they fight for food. Charlie often rams Penelope. That's what we name them. Um, I have to protect them. The neighbor's god dog got to one of them one time. They'll eat everything and, and actually eat stuff that will kill them. So we have to be careful of what we have around the house. You know, it's not a glorious or fun job to take care of my goats. Um, now, when Peter was given this charge from Jesus, it was not for a life of glory but really a life of sacrifice, long nights, dangerous journeys, very, very hard conversations with people. You know, it was a life of doing what Jesus did for his sheep, which is laying down his life for his sheep. Peter was to be an under-shepherd. Now, this is important. Um, Peter was an under-shepherd, not in Jesus' place, but in Jesus' strength. Jesus is still working among his sheep, except now through Peter. All right, and this is why he asked the question, do you love me? And, and that question comes before the command to tend and care for Jesus' sheep. Now, some commentators think that Jesus repeats the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me, three times, because that's how many times uh, Peter denied Jesus. And, and I think that is very likely true. But I, but I think that the three connections between loving God and tending his sheep make it equally likely that Jesus is emphasizing to Peter, 
You cannot tend and feed my sheep unless you love me. There's a connection, a relationship between those two, loving God and tending for his sheep. Now, that's why Peter, 30 years, uh, he recognized uh, the connection between loving God and tending for his sheep. In, in 1 Peter 4, he says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength God provides. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You know, Peter learned that the only way he could care for Jesus' sheep was if he received gifts from God himself in, in feed, to feed and tend the sheep. Now listen, we, we need to understand when we are reconciled to God, we are reconciled to something. Um, we're not reconciled to hold positions of power, some status within the church. You know, the, the truth is there are benefits of being involved with the church family. There's relational benefits, there's social benefits, there, there may even be financial benefits of, of being together. And those are, those are great blessings from God, but ultimately we are called to tend and feed uh, Jesus' sheep, to care for them. You know, also, for you and I, we're called to go out into the world and call sheep that are not yet in his fold. And this is what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, talking about being reconciled. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, Christ in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. I like how the NIV puts that, as if God were making his appeal through us. You know, the good shepherd is still calling for his sheep today. He's calling them home, but he's calling them home through us. That's what it means to be a shepherd. Again, the same is true for you and I, though Peter, now Peter had a significant role in the church at this time. Um, what Jesus said about Peter was true. I'm gonna build my kingdom upon this rock, and that was Peter. Um, uh, but a love for God always leads to caring for uh, what is most precious to God, his sheep. And so let me ask you, do you care for God's sheep? You have sheep all around you. Do you care for them? Are, are you tending to the needs of others? Are you involved with feeding others in the body of Christ with the truths from God's word? Are you evangelizing your friends and family members who don't know Christ? You know, there are sheep that are in God's fold that are not yet um, uh, with him. God makes his appeal to them through you. And a love for God will always lead to displaying care and feeding his sheep. 
So this brings us to the third thing that Peter was restored to. So we've explored that Peter was restored to Jesus. Peter was restored to shepherd. And finally, Peter was restored to the end. Look at uh, verses 18 to 23 with me. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. He said this to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Now I'm sure Peter understood what Jesus was saying, that at some point in time, Peter, you will die upon a cross as, as I did. I'm sure this was very comforting to Peter in one way and also very sobering to Peter. You know, comforting in that Peter knew that he would, by God's grace, remain faithful to the very end of his life. And I'm sure that was comforting to, pe- to Peter because he had just gone through a season where in his own strength he had denied him three times, denied he even knew him. So I'm sure for Peter this is, this is a, a comforting statement in, in some ways. Um, and, and it's interesting what, what um, Peter said to Jesus two weeks earlier, he would actually fulfill. Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Now, when Peter originally said this, he said this purely out of his own reserves of strength. And he failed utterly. Now Jesus is telling him that he would indeed follow him, which would ultimately lead to his death. But this time with the power that only comes through being a follower of Christ. Now, Peter carried this knowledge with him for 30 years before he was martyred in the same way that Jesus was on a Roman cross. Now, how does this relate to our following Jesus today? Well, don't you know that when you put your faith in Jesus, you're heading down the same road that every disciple has gone down throughout history? Bonhoeffer said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And I know that's true because it's on one of the posters upstairs, if you've ever seen it. Uh, but Christ himself says this about his followers. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own, own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. It's Luke 14. Now, in the United States, it's very unlikely we are going to die because of our faith in Christ, because we're following Jesus. Um, but as followers of Christ, our lives should be filled with thousands of many deaths, uh, where we're saying no to the flesh, no to the sinful nature, and yes to following Christ. Not the big event of martyrdom, but thousands of little martyrdoms, if you will. You know, our flesh may want to respond harshly to uh, our children or spouse. Carrying your cross means following Jesus and with his strength, with his strength, responding lovingly. Our flesh may want to view pornography. Carrying your cross means not to do that. It means to follow Christ and with his strength overcome that sin. Our flesh may want to avoid having an uncomfortable conversation with our neighbor. 
uh, telling our neighbor about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Carrying your cross means that you pray that God would use you to call your neighbor into a relationship with himself. And go outside when you notice your neighbor is outside and meet with him at the fence, him or her at the fence. You know, most of us hope that if the opportunity afforded itself, we would give our lives for the gospel. Uh, But we really don't live there on a day-to-day basis. Uh, How about taking up your cross and having a conversation with your neighbor about the gospel? How about taking up your cross and visiting with an elderly saint who's lost her husband? You know, if you can't or don't do these small things, it's unlikely that you would die for him if the opportunity afforded itself. So let me ask you again, do you take up your cross and follow Jesus? All of us have areas where we must die to ourselves and follow him. Now, I, I for myself, get caught in the trap of what happened to uh, Peter, that Peter fell into. Uh, Look at verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also leaned back against him during the supper and had said to him, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Jesus saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it's my will, he remain until I come. What is that to you? You follow me. And I love Jesus' reply. It's essentially, Peter, mind your own business. (laughs) Mind your own business and follow me. You know, I think he says the same to you and I. Don't worry about the other crosses that people have to bear. All of them are different. Some of them are heavier than others. But we follow Christ. You follow me. Now, on, on July 3rd, 1826, exactly 50 years after the adoption of the uh, Declaration of Independence, on that exact day, Thomas Jefferson was suffering from an intestinal illness and slipped into a coma uh, that lasted just uh, until 12 o'clock um, on July 4th. 1826, at which point he passed away. That same day, July 4th, John Adams collapsed in his reading chair around the same time. Um, And around the same time that Thomas Jefferson died, he regained consciousness briefly at about 5.30 that evening and uttered his last words, Thomas Jefferson still lives, before dying himself. The relationship between John Adams and Thomas Jefferson was such that Jefferson was really the last thing on John Adams' mind. And they both passed away on July 4th, 50 years after the signing of the Declaration of Independence. You know, a restored friendship and relationship is a beautiful thing. And and I'm sure as Peter suffered on uh, a Roman cross 30 years after that conversation with Jesus, he's reminded of the words he wrote to Jesus' sheep in 1 Peter chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And as he suffered, I'm sure that Peter was looking forward to this, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, 